Sure is quiet in here. Are we good, uh, Jonathan? Yes, sir. All right. I had to get wired. Sorry. Not that I need to be wired up necessarily, but anyway. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 6. And I'm preaching on this subject tonight. Uh, Jesus is one of Jesus's I am statements where he said, I am the bread of life. It was funny, a while ago, I uh, went to the back to give me a cup of water because I am a windmill that runs off of water. And uh, while I was back there, I got to talking with LaDon and others for about a good 10 minutes about cereals. And now I'm hungry. You know? Uh, we were, we were uh, reminiscing on uh, the days of getting up and pouring that big old bowl of cereal before we went out into the world as just mindless youths to be uh, influenced. And um, so anyway... I guess cereal is made from bread to some extent, mostly sugar, but some bread in there. And so uh, that was just a God thing, LaDon. It was a God thing. John chapter 6. Let's stand tonight as we honor the reading of God's word. I want to start in verse 35. In verse 35 of John chapter 6. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all, <clears throat> that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Father, we thank you tonight for the blessed promises of Scripture. Thank you, God, that in, of all the things in our culture and our world that through our lifetime we've seen come and go and change, God, we're grateful tonight that you change not, that, Lord, you are eternal, and that, God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the blessed assurance and hope in that. And I pray tonight, God, that you would just encourage us from your word, that you would guide uh, every word, that, Lord, it would be exactly what you'd have me to say. Lord, put your thoughts in my mind, and, Lord, uh, put your words on my tongue. May I preach faithful tonight as a dying man to dying people. And we pray and ask these things in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> Well, we recall way back there in Exodus that when the Lord called Moses, that Moses asked an obvious question as he began to be made aware of the plan of God. He said, well, you know, Lord, at some point, somebody is going to ask me, you know, who sent you? By what authority now are you coming to uh, us in Egypt saying that I'm going to lead you out of bondage? At some point, Lord, somebody's going to say, who sent me? What do I tell them, God? What am I to say? How am I to answer that question? And the Lord said, well, you tell them that I am sent you. And uh, in saying that, Jesus, or excuse me, God reminded Moses that he has no beginning. He'll have no end. 
God is completely sufficient. Uh, he doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anything. He is the sovereign Lord over the universe and the universes within the universe and the universe beyond the universe. And anything that the James Webb telescope might find, God is sovereign over all of it. He's sovereign over all of it. And he said, Moses, when they ask who sent you, that's what you tell them. And Jesus, after uh, a miracle of feeding 5,000 uh, people, uh, he begins to talk about that I am the bread of life. It's an interesting exchange that takes, back, takes place back and forth because Jesus reminds us that not everybody that was following him that day was you know, looking for eternal life. There were a lot of people that were following Jesus just to be a part of what was going on. At this particular time in the scriptures, Jesus is at the zenith. He's at the highest point of his popularity. And there are those who are thinking, you know, when Christ takes, uh, you know, uh, when he leads us into rebellion against the Romans and he overthrows this government, you know, we want to be a part of that. And that was not God's will. That was not Christ, not why Christ came. Um, they didn't understand that. You know, people sometimes just want to hear what they want to hear. You ever notice that? Sometimes, uh, I know Brother Gary, you can relate to this as a pastor. Sometimes people call a pastor and say, I want advice only to understand that what they really want is for us to just agree with the decision that they've already determined that they're going to make. And sometimes that's how it is. And there were people in the day that were around Jesus, that saw the miracles of Jesus, uh, and yet they did not believe beyond what they wanted to believe or to hear. Uh, chapter 6 is just an interesting exchange about the back and forth of uh, Jesus with the Pharisees, Jesus with those who were following him, but were not real followers of Christ. So he makes this statement that I am the bread of life. And he makes it at several points throughout uh, chapter 6. And again, this statement that I am the bread of life comes after having uh, fed 5,000 from just barley loaves. Barley loaves, just the common, uh, really it was a poor man's bread. That's what it was. It was just a poor man's bread. And he took those two loaves, basically a sack lunch, and he fed the multitude. And so Jesus uses this fresh miracle in the minds of these people to illustrate a point. And he says, I'm the bread of life, but he's not talking about bread. He, he's using this to, uh, for them to understand a greater meaning and a greater purpose in what he's doing. Now, I was reminded uh, by a story that a fellow by the name of Dr. Crabtree told when he was in college that there was a bakery that was just right down the road from the main entrance of the campus. And he said, if you were outside when you were changing classes or anything, all you smelled was fresh baked bread. He said, this guy, it was a magnet. It drew you there. Uh, you know, everybody hung out there because it smelled so good. Uh, he said it was a common place, uh, you know, you would take your date out there. It was just, everybody was just enamored with this wonderful uh, wafting smell of, of fresh bread uh, through the campus. And as he was, uh, you know, would go on to uh, 
uh, become a pastor, he would, he would use this and he would oftentimes look back to this event whenever he preached on this subject that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now we understand Jesus is talking spiritual things here and I want to share with you tonight three specific things about uh, this statement that I am the bread of life. First of all, uh, Jesus here, as John says in the gospel that he is named after, J uh, John speaks of the deity of Christ. He speaks of how in at the perspective that John comes from in the gospel of John, he is oftentimes noted, he is oftentimes described as he is the very Son of God, and not just the Son of God, but he is God in the flesh. He is fully God, but yet fully man. And John speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Christ here is talking about spiritual things as he uses this metaphor to talk about him being the bread of life. So the first thing in this we can understand that Jesus is truly one who can satisfy. Now in verse 27... Jesus makes this statement. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes. Again, there are those who hear what he's saying and they're thinking about physical nutrition or a physical meal. They're, they're reminded of what he did uh, in feeding the multitude. And so uh, they're kind of stuck on that. In, in, a, in a world and in a culture where food was not always abundant. I mean, you know, in America, we... We have food everywhere. Even in the Build Back Better Biden world, there's still food available. The shelves are not as full as they used to be, maybe, but there's still an abundance of food. Now, you know, we understand some of the things that we've done over the last two and a half years is going to have devastating consequences uh, to the world at large. Uh, I mean, a year from now, a year and a half from now, um, the fact that we shut things down will greatly affect those uh, who are dependent upon others to feed them. And the reality is, and we understand that, you know, hunger, and Jesus used this for that reason. Hunger is a basic need of life. And here's the thing, and here's what unfortunately we're going to see in a, in a, in a year if it, if it takes that long. The people who have the food are going to be fed first before those who have no food get food. Do you know what I mean? If you have the food, you're going to eat before you give it away. And unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of devastation because of some things that we've done over the last few years. Because hunger is a basic necessity of life. And not just physical hunger. We need physical food uh, because we need to grow, and we understand that malnutrition uh, is, is, a, is a worldwide problem, and it has been. Um, and we understand that there is a need for physical food. But Jesus specifically is talking about that he satisfies something greater than a physical need. Now, how do we know that? Because clearly there were those who followed Christ that were hungry. Clearly there were those in the first century of the church who probably died from malnutrition. Now listen, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have a banquet on the table every night. That's what's so wrong and perverted about the whole health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it junk. That's what's such a problem with that. 
You cannot go into the darkest regions of the world and sell that mess. Because the people you're preaching to haven't had a meal in a week. But it flies in the face of abundance. In a culture that throws away food. That, that flies over here because we have a culture full of lazy people that will turn on a TV and buy hook, line, sink or whatever somebody tells them. Especially some loudmouth, charismatic preacher with nice teeth and a good hairdo. Jesus is not talking about physical food. He's talking about spiritual things. And He satisfies. Now in, in our human flesh, there's not only a need for physical food. Like I said, I'm hungry because I've been talking about cereal. But there's also another, other types of hunger. We hunger for power. We hunger for a position. We, we have drive. We have passion for things. And so we pursue things. There are many men that at the expense of their family have pursued to gain some title or have pursued to gain some, some uh, uh, socioeconomic level. And having achieved that, are they satisfied? No. No. That's why we can look around our world and we see people all the time that are millionaires, that have a lot of fame, that have a lot of fortune, that have multiple homes, and yet they are miserable. They take their lives. They're hooked on drugs. All manner of things. Why? Because there is a hunger inside of them that the physical world, this world cannot satisfy. And Jesus speaks of this. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Why? Because God the Father has set His seal, His authority on Him to do those things. So Jesus is teaching a, a practical thing. It's not just about meeting the physical need, although that is a need. It's not just about that though. He says you can spend your life gaining and searching and looking and striving at the expense of so many things. And when you've achieved those things, you're still empty. You still have no hope. You're still frustrated. Do not labor for those things, but labor for that which endures through eternity. See, Christ is not talking about physical food. He's talking about spiritual things. And I want to tell you, at the end of the day, look around. We talk about in our world today, we, we have people that say, well, I don't believe in God. I'm smarter than that. I'm an agnostic. But they have a religion that they're following too. In our, in our culture today, everybody's worshiping something. Folks that say, well, I'm agnostic, I don't believe in God. They're just worshiping their self or they're evolutionists, they're humanistic in nature, but they're worshiping something. Every culture throughout history has had a religion. Not a single one hasn't. There's never been a completely agnostic, atheistic culture that does not believe in a God. They just don't believe the God that's described in the Bible, but they very much so believe in a God because they've worshipped that God They've brought offerings to something in hopes of a good crop. 
They've even sacrificed their own children, unfortunately, for the sake of a good crop. We find that even the nation of Israel got into that level and steeped to that low of idolatry. Everybody's worshiping something. You look at every known culture in the world today, you know what they all have? They all have a flood legend, every single one of them. There's not a culture on the face of the earth. You dig it out. You look through the anthropology, the records, and all of that. Every culture has a flood legend. You know why? Because there was a flood. <laughs> and they wrote about it. They wrote about it in different ways. As a matter of fact, the, the Chinese culture in particular uh, has, has one of the most dramatic cultural accounts of the flood that is most closely associated with the actual Bible, uh, the version that we have in Genesis. Every culture has a flood le legend. Every culture is worshiping something. People are religious in nature. They may not be religious about the God of the Bible, but they're very religious. Man, in a few, in a few weeks... Football season is going to start up. If you do not think people are religious, wait until football season starts. People are very religious. Not only are they very religious, they're superstitious. They'll wear the same thing on a Saturday or a Sunday because they think it's lucky. And if you're a Dolphins fan, there's nothing you can wear. There's nothing you're going to say, nothing you can do that's going to make the dolphins be anything other than the dolphins that we've seen. I just, I'm sorry. There's no hope. Somebody said the Dallas Cowboys, that field-in star, it's really not a ball team. It's just a rating, one star. I'm sorry. People are very religious, though. People worship a number of things. And Jesus said, folks, look, I can satisfy I can satisfy. You know what you find? You find around the world in cultures that are not as fluent as ours. You know what you find? You find believers. And you find believers that are happy. Do you know somewhere today in some indigenous country, it is likely that a hundred followers of Jesus, maybe 200, stood out on some little bush landing strip waiting for a plane to land that had Bibles in their own language. Wherever you go where God's people are, you may not find restaurants, you may not find hotels, you, you may not find all of these different things of life that we enjoy, but you'll find believers who despite having those things, somehow are satisfied. They're satisfied. You know why? Because Jesus is enough. That's why. So he says, I'm the bread of life. I can truly satisfy. And Jesus reminds us that he's truly sufficient. Now notice what he says here. And again, he's talking about eternity, right? Now, through this exchange that goes on in John chapter 6, he brings up Moses and manna often. 
Uh, for instance, uh, they were wanting a sign there in, in verse 30. And it says that they said to him, you know, what sign will you perform uh, that we might see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now, this is already after 5,000 people been fed from a sack lunch. Some people just, they want to see what they want to see. They want to hear what they want to hear. And they want to believe what they want to believe. And you look in our culture today. There is invincible ignorance in some people. And you're not going to change. The person who tells you that uh, there is no gender and gender is fluid. And the person like at the Boston Children's Hospital who said that that toddlers can know that, that, that they don't want to be a girl or a boy. And as parents, you should affirm their ideas about gender. And this is from the, this is from the Children's Hospital in Boston. You can take your two-year-old there as a girl, and if she wants to be a boy, we'll, we'll, we'll do some surgery, man, on a two-year-old. Do you, do you think I'm going to persuade somebody like that? If you believe that a two-year-old can have a hysterectomy in the name of gender-affirming surgery, that's invisible, invincible ignorance. There's nothing I'm going to say to you. Notice what Jesus said about, he, he said this in, in verse 35, he says that I'm the bread of life and he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me yet you don't believe. And look at what he says in verse 37. This is the sufficiency. See, all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. See, Jesus is connecting the dots. You guys are looking for signs. Y'all are looking for works. And you think, okay, I've seen it now. I'll believe. He says, no, you don't understand. That's not the point. People don't get saved on their own volition. People are drawn by the power of God to an old rugged cross because spiritual things the common man will never understand. And that's why he says, God's got to draw you. And when you come to me, I won't cast you away. Because he said, I've loved this old world so much, I'm laying my life down for this old world, and if you come to me, you'll be saved. That's what he said. See, he is completely sufficient. Now they said, uh, you know, what sign are you going to do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert there in verse 31, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And look at what he says. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. They're, they're, they're going back and saying, well, you know, you know, Moses gave us the manna. And here's something to remember about what happened there in, in, in Exodus. Yes, God gave them the manna. And they could go out and they could gather it. And, and it was sufficient for what? One day. They gathered too much of it, it rotted. It was sufficient for one day. One day's provisions. Christ is not talking about one day. He's talking about the rest of the days. He's talking about all of eternity. He is sufficient. If you've come by the way of the cross, you'll be kept by the power of God and nobody under no circumstances will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing will. He's completely sufficient. Death won't separate you. Circumstances cannot separate you. 
He is sufficient. Sufficient to hold you and I throughout all of eternity. It's interesting, you know, that when we think about the goodness of God, notice God's not stingy with this. It's not sparse. You know, uh, I know back a few months ago in some places of the country, there was some, there was some real shortages of things, common things that you would, you would use, you know, daily. You know, bread, things like that. There were, there were times that you'd go to the store, we'd take for granted that, you know, it'd be a... I mean, the bread aisle at the grocery store is the whole aisle, right? And, you know, you can get the, the stuff on the bottom, you can get the stuff on the top, you can get potato rolls, you can get yeast rolls, uh, white bread, wheat bread... You can find stuff tastes like cardboard. It doesn't matter. It's all there. Different varieties. And we experience sometimes where you might go there and your favorite nature's own butter bread, which I think is probably tastes most like the heavenly manna, but that's just me. But, you know, if it was out, you could probably wait a couple of days and, and it'd show back up. Jesus isn't stingy. It's not sparse. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, He's the bread of life for everybody's life. Every man, every woman, every child that comes to the Lord Jesus by faith, He's powerful enough to save you, and He's powerful enough to keep you saved. His mercy is abundant. His grace is abundant. His grace is sufficient. He's the bread of life that is completely satisfying and sufficient. And ultimately, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of salvation. Notice in verse 48, he says again, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, you and I understand that he's speaking of salvation. Notice the very next verse. The Jews therefore quarreled. They argued among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Not everybody is going to receive it. And not everybody's going to understand it. Because a lot of people just don't want it. And that's unfortunate. You know, I, I made reference to this today, and, you know, it, 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 it's a concern. I, I, as a believer, how, however young you are, if you've made that profession of faith, and, and you believe that Jesus is Lord, and you believe heaven is real, you must also believe that hell is real too. And here's, here's and again, I look around, and, and when I see 
apathy at the, at, at, at the state it is today, how can we believe that there is an eternal hell where there will be tormenting you with the demons and the devil forever? How can we believe that? And there be no urgency. And there, and there be no desire. No zeal in our hearts for the reality that people are perishing without Christ. It ought to move us. Certainly if we understand, it ought to move us. They argued, how in the world can we eat this man's flesh? And as Jesus went on to there, boy, he really confused them. He said, man, not only are you going to eat the flesh, you're going to drink the blood too. And they were like, what? I can just picture their heads exploding. What? Because they totally didn't get it. You know, as we take part in communion, it is, in a sense, symbolizing this reality that He was the bread of life and He was broken, crucified, crushed. This speaks of salvation. It speaks of eternity. It speaks of supplying our greatest need, which is not to be filled physically, although that is a need. But our greatest need is to be saved and to be filled with the mercy and the grace and the righteousness of God. He offers everlasting life. And I think about that analogy that Dr. Crabtree talked about, the, uh, you know, that, that bakery and, and how... Wonderful that that smell was. Like I said, I'm hungry. How wonderful that smell was, and how enjoyable it it was to to fellowship and to gather with friends and to be satisfied, to be filled. How good it is for the people of God to fellowship, to spend time with one another to speak of the goodness of God and to be filled, to be satisfied with the beautiful words of life, to be satisfied with Almighty God, with the very person of Jesus. See, today in our world, no matter where you're at, Jesus is still setting a table. He's putting a banquet out there. He offers satisfaction. He offers sufficiency. He offers salvation. Isn't it great to be a child of the living God? Amen. Let's pray tonight. If you would bow your head with me as we join our hearts tonight in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you for the sufficient one that you are.